You're listening to episode 60 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. back to the Take the Reins podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Porter, and I hope this podcast finds you well. And I am smiling extra big today because the sun was shining and I also had a great lesson on my horse. So all is well in my world. And before we get into the interview today, which, you know, I think I say that every interview is my favorite interview, Um, but I really thoroughly enjoyed the interview you're about to listen to, and I know that if you have been listening to Take the Reins up to this point, this will also be an interview that you enjoy, so I can't wait to hear from you and to hear what you think, and for you to meet this amazing person that I'm interviewing, it's just, oh, she's so good. But before we get into that, I just want to give a quick reminder that the Aware Horsewoman program that I teach with Beth Killo has spring registration opening soon. And the spring session, op- or it opens, begins uh, the first week of May. So that I believe is May the 3rd is when we dive back in for our spring session. And I can't wait for this next session of the Aware Horsewoman because the first one was beyond what I even expected. It was so good. And I don't say that in a way of like, oh my gosh, our course was so good. I mean that in the sense of what the women who were involved, were able to accomplish the rapport that they created within the group and just the overall impact that this program has on our mindset as a woman, as an equestrian, as a, you know, person who's in a relationship with any other human being. Uh, It really is impactful Uh, I actually was speaking to one of the students from the last program, uh, the last session today, and she had just attended a sorting clinic on the weekend, and she was like, oh my goodness, 
the pressure module like this it just applied to everything and uh, I was like yes it 100% does and the, you know when I'm looking at sorting cows and and now uh, as I'm moving cattle or teaching about sorting cows I can't unsee what we teach in the aware horsewoman program because really there are so many things that you can apply this model to it's incredible when i think of the things that we teach and we look into and we dive into and we apply in this program and how they and, and what ones apply to sorting cattle it's so funny because like it really does apply to everything but when i think in particular about sorting cattle i think of the concept of scope and pace and feel and pressure and it all when you break it down and really start to apply it to the different systems and the different things that you're doing in life it's amazing how it helps you change your perspective change your communication and change your um your awareness and then everything how you approach everything it's it's so cool anyway um i'll go on about it for days because i i feel like i left the program on a high on this information and i'm just so honored to be able to teach it with beth and to be able to bring it to uh horsewomen around the world so that's my spiel about that now I'll tell you who you're going to be listening to me interview today. So today on the show, I'm speaking to Lisa Hamilton-Smith, and Lisa's speaking to us from just outside of London, and I first met Lisa on Clubhouse, and I'm sure that uh, the world is probably tired. Those of you who aren't on Clubhouse, you're probably tired of hearing about Clubhouse, but it's a sign that you probably just need to get on Clubhouse so you can enjoy it as much as those of us who are on it are. So I met Lisa on Clubhouse, and she runs the Dream Team Academy, and I just loved... Uh, the different things that Lisa was uh, was discussing on Clubhouse in the different rooms that she has there, and I, I everything she says, t- you know, typically resonated with me. So I reached out, asked her to be on the show, and you can find Lisa online on Instagram. And if you search for the Dream Team Academy, you'll find a link there to her Dream Team Life website, and there you'll see her Facebook link and a, and a link to the Equestrian Mastermind that she runs, as well as the Dream Team Life podcast that she hosts with her co-host, Marissa. So the Dream Team Life podcast is designed to help you manifest your dreams with the Dream Team, which are Lisa and Marissa. And uh, it helps you learn the steps required to live a life you love. And I really hope that part of your takeaway from listening to this interview is really looking at, you know, what kind of life do you love or would you love? And then how can you take action steps in order to get there? And I'm going to leave it there. And I hope you thoroughly enjoy it because... I absolutely loved having the conversation and I can't wait to hear what you think of it. So let's get into it. This is my conversation with Lisa Hamilton-Smith. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Takes the Reins. I am so thrilled for this conversation today. 
On the show, we are speaking to Lisa Hamilton Smith, and I was destined to land on this conversation. I have zero doubt. Lisa and I met in Clubhouse, and when I heard her speaking, there was something you said, Lisa. I don't even know exactly what it was, and it was almost like immediately I sent you a message said, we need to connect about the podcast. I wish I had actually written it down. But <laughs> I don't know. I say so much. I have no idea what it was. God knows what I was going on about at the time. <laughs> so many great rooms on Clubhouse and you're, you're speaking so confidently. And there's a reason why Lisa speaks so confidently on air and in Clubhouse. And we'll get into that in a moment. But welcome, Lisa. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our chat. This is It's always great to, to talk to a fellow horseman about the thing that we love the most, which is horses. Absolutely. And the life that's around them, because it's not just horses, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle choice. Absolutely. Yep, that is 100% uh, true. And I truly believe that when we were led to Clubhouse, we were led there because of the horse connections that we were making there, because they are they're profound, really. So, Lisa, why don't you, to get us started, just share who you are, where you're from, and your involvement with horses. Okay, right. Well, uh, obviously, Lisa Hamilton-Smith. I'm from the United Kingdom. I live just about an hour and a half outside of London. I have been training horses since I was 16, and I'm <coughs> old now. Um, I started riding as I was three on a Shetland pony, and that was probably the biggest mistake my mother ever made, because then that started a, the, I want a pony, for about the next eight years. I didn't get my first horse till I was 13, but I begged, borrowed, and stolen others until then. And um, I've had horses in my life ever since. I currently have seven horses and ponies. Yes, it's a bit excessive. But there's a reason for that because, you see, I love them. I genuinely love them. And I don't believe once they've come into my life, they become family members and I don't want to sell them. So I've never been able to make money trading horses because I keep them all. <laughs> until they're very old so I have like a very geriatric herd but I love them dearly and I promise they will be on there to their last breath so that's why I have so many so I was an event rider in my youth um I went off to business school though because my parents said to me you'll never make any money with horses you can't do that and uh, that was actually a huge mistake and I if any if you're any of you are listening to this and your parents are telling you go and do something else there's no money in horses don't listen because uh, I ended up doing them anyway but it was a far more complicated way and you should do what you love I am somebody who believes you should do what you love and my life might have been a lot easier if I'd taken that route however everything happens for a reason so I went off to business school and I then went and worked in the city of London as an insurance broker you know, it's all supposed to be a great life in the city, loads of money, right? Except I sat there looking out of my window going, this is hell. Concrete everywhere, a, a two-hour commute either way. I got home at 9pm and it was dark. I couldn't ride. I mean, this was not a life for me. I lasted six months. <laughs> so actually, because my parents were still saying, well, what are you going to do? The only way to avoid being made to have yet another job that I hated was to leave the country. <laughs> so I went, I need to go traveling, you know, post, post degree. Um, so uh, my mother, bless her, she's no longer with us, but she said she'd look after my horse and, um, and I toodled off to America. 
And then I lived in America for 12 years. And I thought I tried to reinvent myself in America as a model. Back in 12 years, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, I've been back in 12 years, exactly. Yeah, poor mom. She really did look after my horse all that time. Oh. And um, I did. I only intended to go for a year, but um, I got married, I got divorced. Um, but I did have some fun. Um, I learned a lesson, never let anyone buy you a horse. My, my ex-husband bought me a horse. Uh, my ex-husband took the horse away. Hmm, that wasn't a good experience. Um, so I, I got to experience sort of being a lady who lunch rider. And I did some training over there. And I did lots of things in America. And I did lots and lots of personal development because I could. Because it's a very Californian thing. Those of you who live in California will know what we're talking about. So um, that actually helped changed my life you see I went there thinking well my parents said I couldn't do horses um I need to forget about this horse craziness but I and I didn't ride for two years when I moved to America and I had my horse back in England but she was kind of retired she was going to graze in a paddock you know and I smelt horses in a barn I was driving I had a Mercedes convertible beautiful red Mercedes convertible and um I was living the high life and I smelt these horses and I was like I have to go and see them so I stopped and I drove into the yard and the barn as, as you call it in the states and um and I watched some horses riding and it was like a disease I couldn't I couldn't leave and at that moment I was like I can't do this anymore I've got to get a horse now I was married to this chap and he said well okay that's all right you can go and buy a horse and of course that was the beginning of the end because I, I started to get more and more back into horses and I began then in a very small way to live the dream I had always had, which is to be a fantastic horse trainer, to train with the best and teach with the best. And that was a seed of a thought that I had thought was impossible when I was younger, which is why I'd gone off on this business degree and all this other stuff. But in this personal development work, I realized that I was somebody who didn't want to be told no. And I didn't want to believe that we're limited. And I wanted to believe that anything is possible and all that sort of thing. And so I studied and learned that you can, using mindset, you can change your reality and you can actually create a world that you want to live in. So I started riding and teaching. I had a very unhappy marriage. It didn't end up going well at all. And to cut a long story short and not give you any of the boring stuff, I ended up 12 years later with a six-week-old child, not from my marriage. Um, so I was a lone parent of a six-week-old little baby. And I found myself flying home to England, having left, left, left everything behind and starting my life over. So that was quite a change of gears. So I'd gone to America, I'd got married, I'd been a lady who lunched, I did charity work, I trained part-time and had some fun and I invented a horse and it all came crashing down when my marriage crashed. But such thank God for the personal development work because I had learned you make what you can of what you got. If life's give you lemons, you make lemonade. And so I came back, Six with a gold job. Luckily, I live with my parents. I came back and said, Mummy, Daddy, I'm home. They loved it. Actually, they kind of did love it because it was nice to have a grandchild. The only one they ever had. And um, and because I had a nanny built in, I just hops on uh, a friend of mine and said, Come to the gallops. Come galloping, Lisa. Now, I just got my stomach back and my body back. And having a child is not particularly great for us riders. And I was like, OK, I think I can. So off I went to the gallops and I hadn't ridden for about a year and a half at that point because, you know, during pregnancy, you kind of don't want to do these things and you have to recover. 
I got on this horse, went to the gallops. It was that my friend rode around badminton four times and these were her badminton horses and they were really high fettle horses and the feeling of the gears and this horse just wanting to go. I was completely consumed with the desire to event again. And I had to give up eventing when I left for America. And so I started to write. I started to teach. I started to train because it fitted around my son. Suddenly this craziness, my parents said, you can't do that. You're not, you're going to be devastatedly poor for the rest of your life. But actually it worked for a, for a lone parent suddenly riding and being my own boss and riding and teaching and training around me. I used to take my son to the events and I used to drag him around the cross country in one of these sort of go push chairs, which is like super speedy that you can go up and down the jumps. I mean, and it was really good for my fitness walking the course with a baby or I'd carry him it's like like doing army fitness work um but it was incredible and I got to events eventually because of my owners who paid for me to live my dream and I was so lucky but it but I wasn't so lucky because actually that had been my dream that had always been my dream and I think somewhere deep down inside that was what I truly, truly wanted. And so all these twists and turns, and I, I tried to deny myself. Um, but luckily, I was just given these few tools to, you know, to think, what do you really want? What matters? How can you believe in the possibility of what you want? And those, those little tools made a massive difference because I didn't believe it was impossible anymore. And I wanted to create a life that I loved, given my situation. And that's how I started. And so I became a full-time horse trainer, an event rider, professional event rider. And I eventually until about six years ago when I hung up my eventing boots and focused on dressage. And I've been very, very lucky. I've trained with Arthur Cottas, Charles de Comfy, uh, Miguel Ralu, um, uh, Mark Phillips. Actually, I trained with the jumping. I mean, this, it's an endless list. I, I've been very, very, very lucky trained with the best. Wow. That's my horsey backpack. <laughs> That is a fantastic horsey background. What a great story. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Uh, I'm like jotting notes furiously as you're speaking because so much of it resonates. It's funny because I didn't live in this huge city, but I also decided in between university and I was, I had got my education degree that I was going to step away from horses. And I was very competitive growing up. And I was like, no, this, you know, I'm going to see what life is like, not attached to this burn <laughs> and mm. not on this schedule. And, and, you know, the horse's schedule of you have to feed four times a day, you're there all the time. Like, so I thought that life was greener, like it was going to be greener on the other side of that fence. And mm. so I moved to an apartment in a city and uh -oh. that feeling, like when you said you looked out your window, I had that moment where I looked out my window. It was a beautiful day. Actually, it was probably about March because I remember it was like one of the first days that I would normally be so excited to run back out to the barn and be like, we're starting again. And I looked outside and I was like, what am I doing here? Like, what, what do I do on these days? I have no interest in going to the mall. I really have no interest in running. I tried that. <laughs> unless I'm being chased, it's no fun. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I had, I didn't have a connection to, you know, like what do I do for fun and what do I do? That's a part of me. It was like that draw to horses was undeniable in that moment. And, um, and it's funny you say that life really leads you, even though it gets messy, it leads you to where you're meant to be. And when I met my husband, he was a horse, horse man who, was above and beyond. 
So he was riding 365 days of the year. He wouldn't, even Christmas day, he would not, not ride his horse. Wow. Dedication. Yeah. We're not that, like, we have cut that out. We now have a child. And so <laughs> that's not, that's, that's not an option, but he was that dedicated when, when I, um, when I first met him. So it was very interesting that that's kind of where we went. And then the other thing is, can you explain the gallops? So we don't have the gallops here. You not? No, I've never heard of the gallops. Okay, so here, yeah, yeah. So um, events is all here. We're very conscious of the legs, okay. Um, and actually I can talk about California eventing was so different from eventing here. We have great turf here, um, but it's not good all year round. It can get muddy in the winter. It can be frozen a little bit, not like Nova Scotia, but it can be a little bit frozen. And in the summer, it can get quite hard. So we lay all weather gallops. They're, they're purpose built. The farmers build them. Various equestrian centers build them. And so you take the horse, and there's a, usually the racehorse centers will have gallops, and we can pay to use them. So they're on a gentle incline, and they're designed so that the horse is, you know, you're maximizing the heart and lung expansion. And they last, I know, three and a half minutes or something to go up this hill. And then if you then you walk them, you go round the hill, go walk them down the gallop. And those are the best gaps from a gentle incline. So, uh, yeah, they're all over the place. I mean, they're not on every street corner, but that's usually their racehorse ones are shared or they're purpose built with a bigger question centre. Wow. Okay. Well, that will be on one of my heart lists to do at some point is, uh, is to go on the gallops. That's amazing. I love it. And Okay. So, so much of what you said is fantastic. I want to just go back a moment. So you, when you were in California, you said you really got drawn into the personal development world. I did. And this is a personal development podcast for horse owners. <laughs> so if we could just kind of land there for a moment, what do you think was... I don't want to limit you to one, but what do you think would be the main mindset shift that you feel empowered your, your horsemanship or your, your success with horses? I, I actually have a, the story that I'm going to tell you isn't about horses, but you'll see the effect it had. Um, I did this course and um, I, I had a red Mercedes. I had a little red Mercedes uh, that I adored and I, I wasn't brought up in that kind of wealth. I wasn't used to having fancy cars and things like that. And and I, I was very lucky my husband did have that kind of facility and had a beautiful car, um, but I was petrified of it. I drove it around thinking I might crash it, I might kill it, he's going to kill me if I dent it. Um, I felt so uncomfortable in my car. I mean, the most bizarre thing, I had this beautiful car and it was never my car. Anyway, I did this course and one of the breakthroughs that I had in this course was being present and being grateful and actually just living in pure joy of the moment. And I realized that I was so about my story of I'm afraid and this car, I might damage it and my husband might get angry with me. I just created this nightmare around this amazing car. So I got in my car, I did this course, I got in my car, it was a two day course, got in my car and I drove free for the first time ever. I'd had the car for like two years. And I was like, Meow! I drove the car, I changed the gears, I let my hair go, I didn't care. 
And it was just, it was like, I, I mean, it's like I was another person and it was like another car. And yet I'd had that car for so long. So what that taught me was how how we think, the story we create for ourselves limits us. And I had this kind of negative story around the car. And when I went like, now this car is amazing and I can enjoy this car. This car is for me to enjoy. It's, it's not to worry about. If I crash it, I crash it. <laughs> that was so freeing. And that translates to everything in life and it's translated i think you know also when i go to an event and i don't event anymore when i used to event you know i just be in the moment like i used to do this thing where um i was actually a very nervous eventer i mean i think you know people are either really brave what's the word um they're either fearless some people are fearless they don't feel nervous i was not in that category there was um uh, an Australian eventer, his name I'm going to forget now, uh, but he was the same. He used to vomit every time he did a three-day. I wasn't quite as bad as vomiting before the cross-country, but I, I did have to think about it. And every time I had a doubt, I would have to do this like I did with the card, like set. Like, okay, am I going to do this or am I going to not? Because like, if you're not doing it, just quit now. And if you're going to do it, you're going to blooming well enjoy it. And I'd grit my teeth and I'd like with the card, like put my foot on the accelerator, which is the horse, and I'd go out that gate and then I just ride for the joy of it because I loved my cross country, but it still terrified me. But because I got to the end of it, I was like, yes, I've done it. I've done it. You know, and I was very competitive. Like you said, I'm a very, very competitive person. So, you know, you have to push. You're not going to make the grade if you're not pushing. And, um, you know, so it's the same thing. It's about being able to to override your limiting beliefs or your thoughts or your fears, even if it's just for the four minutes or five minutes of getting cross country. It's like, I'm going to stop. I'm just going to be here. I've chosen to count the start gate. So I'm doing it and I'm loving it. Um, otherwise, just don't, don't do it. This is the ability to separate, you know, the reality of being present and really feeling something or just being present to the near, 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 near voice in your head, the voice in your head telling you, no, you can't. Yes, you can. No, no, no. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Just go like, I'm not listening. I'm doing my thing, focusing on what you do want. So that was kind of, you know, related to the car. The car was the first time I ever experienced just being with something completely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can like picture you, like let the hair go, <laughs> step on the accelerator. I absolutely love that story. It was. That's exactly. fantastic. And I like the idea of really looking into the story that we create and doesn't that Oh my gosh, it plays such a huge role in people with their horses, their relationship with their horses, their limitations with their horses, so much. you know, like everything, how they handle their horse on a second to second basis, mm -hmm. all translates from the story that they've created uh, versus the reality. And of course, <clears throat> it starts from the moment you buy your horse because mm -hmm. you buy a horse for a price. So this is a $5,000 horse. This is a $50,000 horse. And the expectations and the story, oh, well, this must be a good horse because it's 50000 And I mean, there's a reason one is 50 and another is five. But we limit our horses according to that. And I, I interviewed Christine, uh, name drop, name drop. I interviewed Christine Stuckelberger the other week, who is a triple crown winner. I mean, she won, won the European world champion, the Olympic medalist um, back in the, I think it was probably early 90s or late 80s. Amazing rider. And her horse, her most successful horse that she won, was unbeaten for four years, was Granat. He was ugly, Person and everything he was no one could ride him. He was big, he was strong, he was ugly, and he was cheap. 
So yeah. they bought him. Now, they didn't have the mindset that he's ugly and cheap, so why would you want him? They were just looking for what they knew were the qualities they wanted in a horse. And they weren't looking at the ugliness. They weren't looking at the price. They were looking at, look at his hocks, look at his back, look at his power, and he seems really smart. And, and it was true. He went on to be incredible. And so the story we tell ourselves, my horse doesn't like jumping. The moment you say, my horse doesn't like jumping, it won't jump. Oh, and Mark Phillips said to me, if you can't imagine yourself going around the cross country over every single fence, do not start. Because if you are thinking, oh my God, you know, the water, I'm, I'm never going to get through the water. You've already started to have a penalty at the water. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to see yourself go around every fence. And when I, and I, when I have clients who actually are nervous, um, then I, I basically bring the goal down and down and down till the point they can believe. Because believing is critical to everything in life. You believe you can, you believe you can't. It's true. We, we know this, right? So if they think it's too big, fine. We'll go down 10 centimetres. It's still too big. Fine. We go down. And the same with horses. Exactly the same. If you're a young horse, it gets really scary. Well, then jump it over a pole until it's like, okay, poles are cool. Now we'll try 10 centimetres. People have this thing like, well, it's, no, it's going to have to jump one metre 50, so we're not going to start at 60 centimetres. Why not? A jump is a jump is a jump. If a horse can understand and have the mindset that you can jump 60, it'll jump 70, it'll jump 80, and the rest is easy. And mm -hmm. it's the same with people. If you get into the habit of believing in yourself, you can mm. believe in yourself as the goals get bigger. But you've got to get to the believe in yourself and what you're trying to do and in the goals you've set yourself. Oh, absolutely. I'm like like raising the roof as you're speaking right now. They can't see me because we're on video and, <laughs> and, and, and they can't see it. But it's like everything you're saying is resonating. And one thing that, that goes along with that story piece where, you know, depends on whether it's the price or whatever it might be, your expectations is I, I like to say resentment and trust cannot live in the body at the same time. And when you attach yourself to that story and then that horse doesn't meet the expectation, then resentment starts to fester. And then you have a really difficult time letting that go and building a relationship based on trust. The mm -hmm. other thing that showed up for me there was that when I was a classroom teacher, I used to get lists of my students and, you know, especially if they're coming from like middle school into high school and you'd have your list of your students and what they did. And uh, I wouldn't read them. I refused to read the list. And if there was anything that came up that, you know, I really was curious about, uh, whether it was like a health issue or a death in the family that was very significant that would impact the, the, the child's mindset or, or mental health, then I would look into it. But I refused to look at those notes saying, so-and-so is disruptive in class or so, because it's the exact same idea of you work the horse you have that day. And, and it's really important to be able to detach the story from the animal or the person or whatever in order to create a relationship based on you and that person, not you, that person or horse and everybody else they've interacted with. Yeah. And I mean, also, I mean, just also to add, because I think it's important. The other thing that I got from that course um, was we had to, in one of the more advanced courses, you had to determine yourself as a possibility in life. 
So some people with a possibility of, um, I don't know, great relationships, for example. So I was the possibility of magic and miracles and people living their dreams. And so that meant I, I, I had to, everything could be magical, everything, miracles happen, and that everyone has the capacity to live their dreams and therefore should. And that, I think, has been pivotal in my approach in my own life and with others. Because like, so I had a lady who was a barrister. She was a, um, that's a in, 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 I don't know if you know, in America, um, Canada, sorry, over there, North America, North America, yeah. lump it all together. Um, you know, barristers are the people that go to court here. We, we, we have a system and a barrister. We have a sort of two-tier system. So you have to be really well-schooled to be a barrister. And she was a criminal barrister. And she dealt with um, buggery, bestiality, and murders. I mean, it's really nasty, horrible things that she she defended or attacked people. Here. Um, so she was tough. She was a tough cookie. She, she hadn't done much riding. And she came to me and she said, um, I want to win a one-day event, you know, a horse trial. And I looked at her ride, sort of bouncing around a bit, and I was like, this is going to be tricky. But, but because I knew, you know, you can take anyone from A to Z, you just have to have the willingness to have the steps, have the strategies, do what it takes for find a way. We had to get her well-mounted, we had to get her well-educated, we had to give lots of homework and lots of hand-holding, she did it. And the interesting thing about that story is it took her two years from literally starting with me to winning an event, and she quit. Pretty much after that, she quit. Because oh you see, God. she set a goal, she achieved it, and she didn't set one beyond, <laughs> um, which is kind of sad in a way. But yeah, but that, was what she wanted, that was what she wanted to achieve. She wanted to win, and then she, she rode her horse as a pleasure horse on and didn't compete again. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's, that's very uh, goal-driven. <laughs> and it actually, that's a really good example of what happens when you are like just goal driven because when you're thinking of being goal driven it's a destination that, that that's a, an it has an end if you don't think beyond it you're right so how do you because this is something that we've kind of spoken about how do you use intention to have you not be goal driven and come to an end your goals are just steps in your strategy towards your vision a goal shouldn't be your vision. There's a distinction. Your vision or your mission, I mean, they're all the same. You, you, you might have a vision and you have a mission from your vision. I mean, it doesn't matter what you call it. But we have a, I have a room on Clubhouse called Pathway to Purpose. And we talk about what are you here to do? You know, and some people believe they're here for one thing, other people, I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe. But we have purpose at any given point in our life, we have a purpose. And then you need to have a vision for what you feel is your purpose or what you want to do or where you want to be. And then you have to set an intention that realizes that. Now the intention isn't the goals, it's the, the container for the goals. So your intention is to base, say, let's take a classic, you want to be an Olympic rider. So, and in fact, I, I interviewed an Olympic rider the other day, MJ Tunbridge, and, um, and she bootstrapped her way to like three Olympics and a couple of world games um, and rode for Bermuda. And she had told me that when she was like 18, she saw herself on that like Olympic stage. She absolutely went, that's where I want to be. She had no money. 
she she was just an ordinary rider at a barn in Bermuda, where there's really no facility. There was no cross country there. She wouldn't be an event rider. She was in Bermuda, so she had to move from Bermuda to America. She trained there. Then she had to go to Barcelona for the Olympics. And then she moved to England because she had the horse there. Da, 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 da. And the, no, then the rest was history. And she's trained and competed her life. She's now retired, but. It started with the, I want to go to the Olympics. And so her intention was to go to the Olympics. I mean, you could argue there's a goal there as well, but it was to be the best rider she could be at Olympic level. And then there were a whole bunch of goals, like, okay, now I need to be educated to ride. <laughs> now I need to ride cross country. Then I need to ride fast cross country. And my dressage needs to be top notch and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. So it, an intention is also something you set every day. And I don't know uh, if anyone here is familiar with Mind Valley. Uh, Vishon Lakani, I pronounce his name. Mind Valley is an amazing organisation, highly recommend it. And there's loads of cool stuff on there um, that you can buy and look at. Some of it's free. Um, and that he talks about every single day you should have an intention for what you're in planning. So you should go to bed with, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, I'm going to do X. And in the morning, first thing you should have a morning routine and set your intention for the day. It's not like a goal. Again, you'll set your intention. I want to have an amazing day and feel fulfilled. So, okay, so what's that going to take? Then you write your goal. So to be feel fulfilled, at the end of the day, I'm going to have to walk the dog, you know, done three podcasts, uh, <laughs> ridden two horses uh, and done a chapter of my book or whatever. You know, and so there's a slight difference, but you need to have a strategy. You have to have action. I was in a room today on Clubhouse, love Clubhouse, as we said, and it was law of attraction versus man, uh, versus action. It wasn't versus manifestation. It was a law of attraction versus action. Awesome. And all the business coaches were like, it's all about action. And then all the spiritual were like, no, we can just like meditate our way into it. And the truth is you need a bit of both. You need vision, you need intention, you need to be, you know, create for yourself the environment in which miracles can happen, but then you need to kick butt. Because yeah. you can't just sit there and hope that it's all going to fall in your lap. It might, but I wouldn't rely on that. I would like to do some action as well. Yeah. Yeah, the action piece is so huge. I actually, two episodes ago, I released a interview with Louise Malmstrom, and she's in London, actually. I know that name. Yeah. yeah. So she works for Dr. Tara Swart. Uh, she wrote the source and that is a lot of, so she describes, you know, manifestation and what that looks like, but actually using your brain as the source and maximizing your brain to be able to put everything into action. So you can say, this is what I want in my life. And you manifest it by putting in it into actionable steps, right? You, it's like your brain is just the software. It's like you, but your software only does the job you tell it to do. Mm-hmm. So your intention, your vision is is like the direct, is then you create the software. You say, this is my intention. This is my vision. This is my mission in life or today or this week or this year. And then the brain goes, okay, great. Now we need these systems in place. Yeah. So, you know, you it will then help you, but yeah. you know, it, it, it's interactive. We can't just sit on our backsides. We yeah. have to do whatever it takes. That commitment to doing whatever it takes is massive. I think part of that too, and I think this is really an important piece to like, I don't even care if I say it in every single episode, is understanding how your brain works when you start to put an idea into place. So whatever you believe, whatever you believe 
is so what you focus on is what you see it's it's and I think you said this in before we actually started recording was you know if you think life is miserable it's gonna be pretty miserable and if you think that you are powerful and that you can achieve anything and you can create whatever you feel like you want to create in life then that is what you look for you look your brain starts looking for opportunities to make that a reality and it's and the example of that everyone knows is when you know you there's a new kind of car comes on the market and you've never heard of it right like i didn't know anything about teslas right. and someone said oh the tesla's the car da, da, da. and then once i knew what a tesla looked like oh my god there's teslas everywhere we all know that you know a new bridle you never heard of that kind of newfangled bridle all of a sudden oh look that horse is wearing that bridle that i heard about the other day probably it was there before but you didn't see it so it, it is true you have to have that awareness yeah absolutely Okay, another thing that you and I spoke about that I feel like we really should make sure we land on before we finish up is the idea of zooming in versus zooming ah. out in order to gain perspective on yeah. that bigger picture piece. You brilliantly explained it about, you know, you went home, you you got a six week old baby and you're moving back into your parents' house and yeah. you could, you were not happy at that time. You were pretty miserable there, but then- Absolutely. Let's zoom out. And what does that do for you? Well, <clears throat> sometimes it's a bit like the uh, princess and the pea, you know, sort of having something of discomfort in your life moves you. So I came home, um, I was with my parents, I had a little baby and I went, okay, I really, uh, this is not, I do not want to live like this. So the one thing I knew that I loved, especially after I took my friend's horses galloping was the horses. And so I was able to, um, in a way, stop looking at, well, I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to actually just stop what I'm saying and say that. So then I built this horse career. Now on a day-to-day -day basis, at times it felt quite hard. You know, I was dragging my little baby over the cross country courses. I was working 18 hour days. I was riding in three or four different yards. And I think, oh my God, this is exhausting. Um, and you know, not making a lot of money. My parents were right. You definitely don't make lots of money in the horse business. Um, but it's not about that. It's about living a life you love. And I, on a day-to-day -day basis, sometimes it felt quite hard. On a, on a weekly basis though, I would think, oh, I've got my competition. So if I drew out a week, I can actually see that the hardship of the Monday to Friday was rewarded in the competitions on the weekends. And if I drew out furthered and looked at sort of three or four year chunks, I could see that I started, um, you know, I came back in my early 30s, which is quite old to kind of get going again in the horse world here. And, and I was so lucky, I was able to get back into horses, and then create a professional career in my early 30s. And I got to do, and I, you know, I'm a crypto, I'm a bit of an, an a nerd, I have a nerdy part to me. And when you trade crypto, you trade it on a one hour, on the minute scale, or hourly, or the four hourly, or the daily, or the monthly. Okay, you can. So you look at the chart, and sometimes like Bitcoin, will you'll look at the chart, and it'll it'll look like it's plunged twenty percent on the four hour chart. But when you zoom out to the uh, three month chart, you're up three hundred percent. And my life is like that. There are many times, um, and I had all my jewellery stolen a couple of years ago. That would be a massive downer day, okay? I came home, my jewellery was all gone. Insurance wouldn't cover it. Lost a lot of money. It was not a good day. But when I zoom out, so that day would have been sort of minus 200%. 
But when I zoom out, my life has been getting better and better and better. I've had more and more opportunities. Um, I, I rode more and more horses. I trained with better and better people. It was an incredible opportunity. I've had an incredible life. I totally live my dreams. Um, but you sometimes can't see it until you zoom out. You have to step back. You have to look at the bigger picture. If we're too focused on the minutiae of today, of like, you know, the, the, the horse thing that went wrong today or the horse stops or you got eliminated or that's just a little detail. You've got to look at the big picture and, and actually that usually makes you feel much better. A friend of mine said to me, I was whinging when I was uh, turning a certain mid-century age and um, and, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of my life because, you know, you can't do this forever, this sport. That's why I was still eventing. And, um, and he said, you're so lucky because you actually took all the risks. Because I did. I took all the risks early on and I got to do exactly what I wanted. Um, and when I zoom out, I could see how incredibly rare that was that somebody actually got to my age and went well I've done everything I wanted to do almost and a few things but almost everything whereas most people wake up at midlife and go oh my god now I need to go and do what I really want um you know I did it the I'll other way around wait for retirement I'm going to put that away until retirement yeah and my grandmother did that and she died six weeks after her 65th birthday Wow. So I learned that lesson really, really young. I went to her funeral and I remember her saying, oh, I can't wait for my retirement. And she was there, bang, heart attack. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, yeah. I learned that. See, these things teach you if, you if you pay attention to the lessons. We've got lessons everywhere. Absolutely. So one lesson that I can take from that is what a contradiction we live in. <laughs> this is why life is hard. It can be as simple as we want it to be, but when you dive a little deeper uh, it can be a little more challenging in the sense that you start to understand what you need, but it's putting that into practice. So when I hear your story, I'm thinking, okay, that zoom out so valuable, zooming out and saying, what does my, the, like the chart of my life look like yeah. for, you know, 20 years or 10 years, yeah. whatever that might be. But at the same time on a daily practice, I need to be present. So I need, right? So I need yeah. to be living in the moment, but in order to appreciate and, and live in gratitude, I also have to be able to zoom out, have some scope and say, okay, now this is, this is why I'll be able to survive this moment and then I'm actually going to move forward versus you, staying stuck. So important right. what you just said, you know, it was why I'm going to be able to survive that. When you realize that your life is full of little failures, mm. full of little failures, you know, it goes wrong, shit happens, obstacles come up. But when you zoom out, you realize that there's always a way around, there's always a way through. And when you look in the past, I mean, we're incredible. People are resourceful. Humanity is amazing. Um, and we have to have faith in that and it enables us to have more gratitude. And that was why I started the Dream Team Life podcast. So I have a podcast which is all about living your dreams because I got to do it. You know, it's not, I happen to have done NLP coaching certificates and all those things, but that isn't why I did the podcast. I did the podcast because I truly lived it. I got to take the risks. I got to experience, I got to experience saying I'm not going to take the risks. And that was horrid. Mm -hmm. I then had sort of this combination of trying to sort of do it half and half, you know, being a rich lady who lunches. And that didn't work either because honestly, the wrong man is not a good idea. <laughs> and and then finally, on my own, in the least likely circumstances, as a lone parent with a little kid living with my parents, my dream came alive. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you just know, never know where it's coming from. Um, you just, it, it, and it is, like, it, it can save so much heartache. If you, like I said at the very beginning, don't let people put you off your dreams. Don't let people tell you you can't do it. If there's something, if there's anyone listening and you have a burning desire and you want more than anything in the world to do X, Y or Z, just go out there and find somebody else who's doing it or done it. Or somebody who's done something like it, if it's something really unusual and there's no one in the world's ever done it, which is highly unlikely. <laughs> go find a mentor. Go train with the best trainer. Find a mindset coach. Find a mindset riding coach like, like Nikki here. F- find what you need. Read. Study. It's possible. More so now than ever because every resource in the world is at your fingertips and a keyboard. Yeah. I could not have said that better myself. There, I'm like, I have already told you there's a reason why we've connected <laughs> because we yeah. are on the same page. It, yes, 100%. Um, it's funny when I decided to leave my teaching career, I had a gentleman who was teaching at the same school. He had heard that I had decided to resign. And like, I, I committed, I was in not my ninth year. I was less than a year away from my permanent contract. And I was like, no, I need, I need to be able to do this for me. And he said to me, I remember it very clearly. I was standing in the lunch line and he said, um, you're not quitting for teaching or for, for training horses. Are you? Like you won't be able to survive if you are going to quit this job to train horses. And I very clearly said to him, I'm not doing this to train horses and I will stay with that for the rest of my life. Um, But it was like he had to caution me that whatever dream he thought I had, the perception of what dream I was was about to go and chase after was not a viable option. (laughs) And common. you know, and I could have, I could have listened to that and went, oh gosh, he's right. Like, how am I going to make ends meet? Because the training is what makes the ends meet to get to my ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm three years away now from leaving and it's getting better on a daily basis. Like I can see when I have that scope, when I really zoom out, I can see that exactly what you said, you're just getting, it's getting better and better. And it is that belief in yourself. You have to tune that out all of it's and you can say you can almost look at it with a little bit of grace and understanding and say oh i wonder what they would do if they didn't have that mindset i wonder what their dream would be if they didn't have that thought that it's not worth it right yeah the people who told me you can't do this had sad Mm -hmm. lives um you know my primary school teacher was the one who told me i could never go to the olympics well i haven't competed olympics but i've judged at three I have been to the Olympics and um you know what was she saying who on earth was she and first she died early she never got to the pinnacle she never got to be the head of us she didn't didn't want to be head at teachers and, and she I mean she just you could just tell that like she held herself back I mean she had an okay life but you know um my grandmother was the one who told me I would never ever have a pony the one who died mm. at 65 of a heart attack and um and why, why would you say that to a child? Mm-hmm. Luckily, for some extraordinary reason, I didn't buy into it, but some mm-hmm. people do. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mindset is, it really is, our thoughts are so powerful. And uh, so many times we're not thinking our own thoughts. Mm-hmm. 
right? Yeah, so yeah, we're yeah. really thinking what other people, whether that be in, a, in tech, I just had this conversation today where someone was riding and they said, but my coach in the past told me I have to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And so her, her horse was telling her very clearly, that is not the way. This is not going to work for you and I. And she was so stuck in that way of asking that she couldn't hear her. She was so busy saying You're, the horse is wrong that she couldn't hear that the horse was saying, no, I just need you to work with me this way. And, you know, it's so important to, to realize when are we thinking someone else's thoughts and allowing them to influence our feel in life with our horses, whatever. Yeah, and listening to those who have a lot of wisdom, you know, when they say, listen to your horse more, and we think, no, I'm listening already. Are you really listening to your horse? Because everyone I interview, this is always the takeaway. I'm now, you know, the question mastermind is now, how do I know eight interviews or something? And these people, all of them, they say the same thing. Listen to your horse. What does your horse need? Feel your horse. You know, it doesn't matter who, but show jumpers, eventers, dressage riders, top people, feel your horse that's what a good rider is they are empathetic to their horse's needs and they speak to their horse through their mind body and soul so yeah. that the horse can partner with them and then you can dance you can fly i always think like avatar like avatar the movie where yeah. you plug in do you see that movie yes, and you fly the dragon but yeah. they had to plug into the dragon so mm. the secret to riding and probably all animals actually is you kind of plug into them but you have to not be listening to any other voices, you have to be listening to your horse. You obviously, if you have a coach, you listen to what they say, but ultimately you're on the horse. And you have to like everything, you take a little bit of what they say, listen to that, then you check out what you're actually feeling and you figure out what's the best combination of the two. And so often the thing that stops us from hearing is our own, like the own hamster on the wheel, that that voice and, and it's really important to do and this is this is why I started the podcast is there's so much work that we can do outside of the ring away from our horses whether that be you know you know the the personal development work that you dove into when you're in California or just diving into mindset or meditation at whatever level's comfortable but when you can get out of your head and into your body you you can see it in your horse your horse goes thank you this is how I expected you to show up for me in the very beginning. Where have you been all this time? <laughs> and I think it's very, very important to all say, and I also, every time I get a chance to speak, I say, you must love your horse. Mm. You must love your horse. Yes. There are so many people out there now who are failing with their horses because they're not loving their horse. They think of the horse is, is something to get from A to B. Yep. It's something that's going to win that prize or or teach them this. Or to, no horse, no schoolmaster, if you if you don't treat it right, will stay a good schoolmaster. I've watched it with ponies so many times. You know, you buy a very expensive pony, you put the kid on, the kid doesn't treat it right, three months the pony's behaving like a monster. Mm-hmm. And it was apparently angelic, you know. So the horses react to how they're treated. So you, as a rider, need to love your horse because if you love somebody you're going to really care about its needs mm-hmm. you think about it, if you love your husband or you love your partner you love your dog you care about its needs and and because they're animals and because they're not in the house um husbands and dogs are in the house usually maybe if they're good. <laughs> uh, then, because yeah, i think sometimes we they're a little bit more disconnected but you know yes that you don't cuddle up with them the same way but they are still animals they need to know like we're doing business terms, we have to know, like, trust people. You have no like, trust in order to sell someone something. Well, you have to sell your horse on the partnership. 
Yeah. You're the one with the brain. He's the scanning machine. He has to understand that you're in it for him. Mm. Then he's like, oh, you're all right, mate. Now let's go. Let's go party. It's not rocket science. You don't just come out of the horse. Right, mate, you're going to do this for me because the horse will just shut down. And then one day he'll get you back. I mean, there are loads of stories of that. Horses have just been subdued. And then one day they lose the plot because they're actually really frightened. And then it only takes a little bit to push them over the limit. And then that rear or that bucking or, or the bolting will, will escape. So love your horse, not just because it's the best thing in the world, but it's also the safest thing. You know, if you're not going to love your horse, don't have one. I'm yeah. really strict about that now. It's like I said to my kids, if I see the kid in the street at the pony, I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't have a pony. Yeah. You can't love it if you won't be prepared to take care of it because there's too much of that now going on. We need to get back to the basics that you must love your animal and do what it takes to, for the best of that horse. So therefore you need to learn to be a good horseman. I think not her... Part of that, Lisa, is getting honest about whether you're showing up in a loving way. Because about 90% of people, or 99% of people, if you say, do you love your horse? Oh my gosh, I love them so much. They're my heart horse. You know, they're, they're meant to be in my life. I would do anything for them. They're with me forever. But then when they handle them, you say, are you handling them in a loving way? We can always show up in a more loving way. And I say doing, doing life in a loving way is hard work. It takes work. It's not, none of us are, are showing up lovingly all of the time. And we're not perfect. We're We're human. (laughs) So, you know, but really getting honest about how am I showing up and, and am I expressing through my, um, my energy, my words, how you label your horse if you bring them out, oh, I have this beautiful horse in right now. And she actually leaves in two days. So she she goes back to her owner. And we had a conversation about the language that we use when the horse comes out with lots of energy. So she's this young, warm blood. And when she comes out and she'd say on her crazy days, I'd say, no, not her crazy days. Those are the days she shows you how her potential, the day that she shows you how athletic she is, how good she feels in her body. Now let's see how smart you are and connect that energy and put it somewhere productive. And when you can handle them with that label, not that crazy bitchy mare, yeah, you yeah. really start to handle them in a loving way. And it's, it, I, I think it, that's it. what I'm going to like probably die on teaching <laughs> well it's a classic reframe and again it's back to how you think you know um uh, energetic horse oh it's a really annoying horse and it's it drags it makes my arms ache and it pulls all the time well why why is it doing that maybe you're feeding it too much maybe it needs more turnout maybe it's stressed maybe it's uncomfortable maybe you don't ride it the right way I, so often we blame the horse so much easier just to call them an asshole and leave it alone <laughs> It really is. Instead of like, if you love the horse, you'll be like, there's something wrong. What can I do? What does the horse need to learn? What do I need to learn? How do I need to ride it differently? It's those questions that a really good rider and trainer. And a trainer, we're all trainers. If you ride, even if you just do trail riding, you're a trainer because you're teaching your horse how to be on trails every time you sit on it. You know, even if you don't get on it, if you have a non-ridden horse, you're teaching the horse how to relate to you as you treat it. You know, it's not rocket science, but we forget they're not like machines. They are reactive. They are reacting to us. That's why they have the equine therapy because the horses are so brilliant at reading people. So yeah, I'm I'm passionate 
about why I have this equestrian master, might you know, a passion about bringing the old masters, the wisdom of the many, many years, and we still have some incredible people alive who've known riding for the last 60 years or so, and the old training systems. I'm, I'm passionate about bringing it together with the mindset, the biomechanics, um, the, the, the old wisdom, and the new science of how the horse thinks, putting it all together for the betterment of the horse. Wonderful. Oh, I just love everything about it. Okay, Lisa, I would love to tell the audience where it is that they can find you and if they're on Clubhouse, how to find you there. Um, and Got my own club now, so it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have, I have the two places. Basically, I'm on... I'm on mostly Clubhouse at Equestrian Mastermind Club. That's easy to remember. And the um, Dream Team Life podcast and club. So those are my two businesses, my two primary businesses. Uh, the Equestrian Mastermind also exists in a more literal way where you can join and uh, be part, take part in the as a VIP in the interviews. So you can ask questions of these incredible people that are coming on and actually see them physically and have an access to our library, our ever-increasing library. So we've got uh, Arthur Cottas coming up, for example, and then we've got a chap called Jan Myberg. He's a classical dressage historian. He's amazing. And Jane Holness Rodham, he went to Mexico Olympics. And we just, I mean, and, and we're literally at the moment, we're getting someone in every week. So by the end of the year, there should be well on, I don't know, 80, 80 interviews. And then it's my life legacy, my dear. This is my plan. I mean, it's not so much for money. So like when I die, they'll be like, oh, look, Lisa did that. <laughs> It's my little legacy because I'm very passionate about it and I want to capture the wisdom of many. Oh, I can tell you're passionate about it. And I'm like, it's been an hour of me just smiling through our whole interview. So my cheeks are sore, um, but my heart is full because I love that, uh, that we're, yeah, that we were able to connect this way and That's over this brilliant. information. It's been so great. So thank, thank you. you so much for being on today. I can't thank you enough. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you, Nikki. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll see you on Clubhouse. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind. Mm -hmm.